0: You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, a Virginia Tech sports podcast presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are switching things up this week. Instead of having one extremely long podcast where we have to fit everything in one go, the previous game and the upcoming one, I think we're going to start to do two podcasts a week. We'll try to release one on Mondays of every week and Fridays of every week. Now, the Wednesday podcasts were great. You guys were giving great feedback. Some of you, not so much, but we appreciate it nonetheless. I think some of the energy got lost by covering the previous game on Wednesdays. By then, it's already been well discussed and documented. And then previewing the upcoming matchup, is a little too early for Wednesdays. So, we're going to try to do two bite sized podcasts per week. We'll obviously keep you updated on what we decide to definitively do. But, anyways, thank you guys so much for continuing to listen. This podcast is really starting to ramp up in size, and we appreciate every one of you, beautiful listeners. This week's Miami's podcast brought the heat as Virginia Tech took down Miami. Here I am. Did you guys hear that? Anyways, Virginia Tech took down the big bad Miami Hurricanes. I swear I heard something. Anyways, let's jump right into it. Yo. Yo, you're back. Yeah, what's up? I'm already recording now. Where have you been?
1: (laughs) Okay. we the other day i responded to everything that you texted me off my watch and that's why there was exclamation points
0: yeah you were very excited to talk to me even though you took what a month hiatus being on the podcast Uh, i'm busy explain yourself do you do you hate us should we have a heart-to-heart now no i'm just busy okay that's fine but you want to just jump into it
1: yeah we're going to talk about the last name
0: yep Obviously, a big win against Miami, 42 to 35, beat them in their house, which is kind of crazy because Virginia Tech's coming off a 35-point loss against Duke at home, travels on the road and beats the big bad Hurricanes. All of us at VT Scoop predicted Virginia Tech to lose, kind of a prove-me-wrong prediction. But with Hendon Hooker, it just looked like a completely revitalized team. What did you see out of the quarterback in his first start?
1: You know, I think that anytime you uh, you start a quarterback um, for the first time, especially at the the college level, I think that a lot of credit really needs to go to Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson for not overloading him, for for simplifying the offense, allowing him to get into a groove early, settle into a groove. Obviously, the defense setting him up for uh, for success with some short fields and some turnovers and things like that, but. You know, I think that uh, for Hinden Hooker's first start, I think he did everything that you could really ask for. I mean, he uh, threw for around 185 yards, ran for over 70, I believe, um, a couple of touchdowns. I, I, I think he really kind of spread the ball around, utilized his tight ends. He was safe. Um, you know, my big concern with Hinden Hooker going into the game was not what happened when the ball was in his hands. It's getting the ball to his hands. It's letting him make the pre snap adjustments, get the call in from the sideline, and not working too fast and not letting his mind tie up his feet. I think he did a really good job settling into the game. Uh, I think that the defense really did uh, aid him in that. But I think going into the week, Virginia Tech had a great game plan for him. Um, you know, I'm very interested to see how he takes that next step uh, um, going into Rhode Island. That's a game where he should maybe get a little bit more uh, more leeway with the playbook, maybe get a few more calls in, let him throw the ball a little bit more, and kind of get settled in before UNC comes to town in a few weeks. But, you know, I think overall there's really not a whole lot that you can take away from his performance in a negative way. I think he did everything that was asked of him and more. I think he really was poised when when, you know, it was a tie game late in the game You know, some of those throws he made, some of the plays that he made, uh, you know, those were uh, those were plays of some upperclassmen. that throw he had to 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 Damon Hazleton was, you know, it's a very difficult throw. And he made it look effortless. Damon Hazleton made it look effortless. It looked routine. Um, And and that's a big play for them. And that was a big play for the Hokies and helped them get in position to win it. So, you know, I I think that uh, that. A Virginia Tech fans should really look at that and think that that's a good step in the right direction moving forward and that he could potentially be the guy, you know, looking, moving into next next fall and the years after. I think that he's a guy that's kind of setting himself up to have a leg up in the quarterback competition for uh, for the next few years.
0: I'll admit, after the Boston College game, you were a firm believer in starting Henn and Hooker right away in that old Dominion game. And I'll be honest, I was a little hesitant. Obviously, we haven't seen him in too many extended looks. And when we have, there has been ball security issues. But I'll admit, you know, I'm starting to eat my words a little bit. He had a really solid showing. Do you think this is what we should expect out of Hendon Hooker on a weekly basis? Again, he performed in his first start on the road against a top 13 total defense in Miami. Of course, they didn't have a lot of film on him or the tight ends, which popped off in that game. Moving forward, is this kind of the same game plan that you would kind of work around Henn and Hooker? Or do you see him throwing more outside to the wide receivers, Damon Hazleton, Trey Turner, Ezekiah Grimsley, those types of guys?
1: I think that it is all going to evolve as the season goes goes forward. I, I think that uh, you know, like I said, when you're when you're taking a brand new quarterback, the worst thing that you can do is hurt his confidence. So you, you have to ease him in Uh, and and typically that can take more than just one game I think usually you want to see two maybe three games before you start to truly open the playbook I think going against Rhode Island next weekend uh, I think that things will be a lot easier for him he won't be facing as fast or as talented of a defense Um, and and I think Virginia Tech will give him a little bit of a longer leash Uh, but you know I, I think that he's the type of guy that you know when he and he gets in a rhythm, he's going to be hard to, to get off his uh, get off his trail. I think that he's a guy that is when he's locked in, he's locked in. Um, but the biggest thing for Virginia Tech is getting him to that point, having him take that next step, which obviously he has started to do. You know I, I think that uh, going into the Boston College game, I think he maybe would have gotten some time in that game. Uh, when Ryan Willis was struggling, but unfortunately, that's when he got hurt was right before that game. And I, I'm not 100% told that he was medically cleared. I know he was there in a case of an emergency, but I don't think that that Virginia Tech medical staff would have wanted to throw him out that early. Um, but when Ryan Willis started struggling, there was it was a no-brainer to me that he's a type of guy where even if he turned the ball over with his arm or he wasn't, as accurate or have a have as much as if as as ryan willis has he has, has that extra element with his legs he's a guy that can move the move the chains with his legs can keep the game going you know keep the clock running and churn out yards uh and i think we saw that against miami i think we'll see again against rhode island and i think moving forward it has to be part of the game plan to utilize his running ability because he's a guy that for his size he should not be able to move the way that he does. It's kind of, uh, you know, kind of unique the way that he can move. It, it, the way he's so elusive at 6'4 almost two hundred and thirty pounds. You know, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of growth uh, over the next few weeks to see what Hendon Hooker is. Is he a guy that comes out and looks great when there's no film on him, like Orion Willis? Or is he a guy that will, uh, you, you know, continue to progress and can continue to um keep defenses off balance and use his legs to his advantage so you know we're at the ground floor right now and I I think it's really uh really going to be interesting to watch and follow over the next few weeks.
0: I thought the most impressive quality of Hendon Hooker were how the guys around him rallied around him and and really it just seemed like there was a there was something in the air that the entire sideline was active uh obviously it helps when you're up early and and forcing a lot of turnovers and starting with great field position and everything's working, but just what are your kind of your thoughts about how the team rallied around Hennon Hooker?
1: Yeah, he's been a guy that, you know, he maybe not, he's maybe not as vocal. Um, You know, guys like Braxton Burmeister and Quincy Patterson, they're more vocal. They're guys that the team rallies around, but Hennon's a guy that he's got a lot of people in his corner. Um, You know, I think, Trey Turner being one of his best friends and being a a louder guy on the team and being a guy that people look up to as a leader. Uh, Even though he wasn't playing in that game, people knew that this was his guy. This is Trey Turner's guy. This is who he's been advocating for. And a lot of people got on board with that. I think when you have a guy like Hinden Hooker that has been in the program for a few years and has slowly tried to work his way into position to play um, and he's got a lot of his friends in Blacksburg. Uh, remember that he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, Mook Reynolds maybe started it, Mook and Adonis, but Hooker was a big reason a lot of those North Carolina players came to Virginia Tech. And he's kind of got a little bit of a, uh, of a business attitude, but it's a little bit infectious. I think a lot of people really do kind of, uh, you know, take a draw to him and, and how he holds himself, how he – hold himself accountable and hold other people accountable and how he commands the huddle. Uh, And I think we saw that the other day. Um, And I think that there's a lot to be said about guys who who are willing to kind of put it on the line and and move the chains with his legs. I think that when Ryan Willis does that, the team kind of gets a little more amped up. And when Hinton Hooker did that uh, against Miami, I think the team definitely responded. Um, But he's a guy that the team is going to rally around. I think that he's somebody that can build upon for the future. And when you look at Virginia Tech – they're so, so young. A lot, a lot of people hate that news. You know, they call it an excuse. But, you know, when you look at five seniors and the youngest roster in Power 5 football, and when you have a sophomore that can kind of rally the troops, that says a lot for your program moving forward. And it's going to be interesting. If he is the guy for the rest of the year and he has kind of a leg up going into next spring, going into the fall, if he continues to be the guy, this team could continue to take really large strides you know it's hard to take a whole lot out of one game but you know it is interesting the way that he was able to perform the way he did against one of the best defenses in the country in his first start and i think that we're going to continue to see a lot of growth from him and the guys around him moving forward and the the miami game maybe it was a fluke maybe you know maybe it was a catalyst for change we don't know yet but it's going to be interesting to follow yeah,
0: I'll definitely say it's exciting knowing how the thoughts were towards the program of the public last week versus right now, and especially getting that glimpse into the future with Hendon Hooker. When there's obviously going to be a huge quarterback battle next year, obviously if Hendon Hooker continues to perform like this, you know he might be the incumbent starter uh, beginning next year. But but it seems like Hendon Hooker. Uh, maybe not the traditional promotion of sorts that he's kind of coming in because Ryan Willis is, well, one injured, but two struggling a little bit. Um, so it's kind of relieving some of that physical toll from him so that he can rest up against Miami, rest up against Rhode Island, maybe even North Carolina, assuming at this point, how if you were Fuente or Nelson kind of handling this quarterback controversy, so to speak, if, if Hendon keeps performing like this, you can't really take him out. Do you keep feeding the hot hand? Or do you think eventually that the staff will turn towards Willis once again?
1: I think that they will prepare for both moving forward. Um, but, you know, if, if I'm making those decisions, if, if this was my decision to make, I would ride with, with Hendon Hooker. I think that he brings an extra element to the, the program. I think that uh, the guys are really rallied around from him. He doesn't have the big arm that Ryan Willis has, but he has a lot of intangibles that Ryan Willis doesn't have. And Virginia Tech is at their best when they have a mobile quarterback. It's always been that way, regardless of who the offensive coordinator is, regardless of uh, you know who the head coach is, when you have a guy that can, can be elusive and move around in the pocket and pick up chunk yardage with his legs. I think that that really speaks well for the Virginia Tech program moving forward. And I think it puts them in the best position to win games. And right now, you know, it doesn't matter if it's pretty or if it's ugly. Virginia Tech's top priority is to win football games. Uh, and, and I think with and Hooker, they have a good shot to, to win a, a few more.
0: Going off of that big picture stuff for the rest of the season, obviously last week it, it seemed like Virginia Tech would be unable to compete in the ACC, maybe get one, maybe two victories in the ACC. Now everything, the outlook has changed, right? Beating Miami, big, bad Miami. Granted, it's a down year for them. It seems like the mood and the morale of the fan base has steadily risen since Saturday. Does this change anything in your mind, uh, looking at other games this, this season, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Pitt, Georgia Tech, or UVA?
1: What's interesting to me is that the, the the fan base definitely had a change of attitude, but the football team did not. Justin Fuente did not, Bud Foster did not, and the players they they've always been confident. Nothing has changed in their locker room. Practices have gotten a little more intense. Uh, Justin Fuente has gotten a little bit harder on the practice fields uh, with his players, but you know for the most part, the morale in the, in the locker room and in the airman complex. Has, has been high you know after boston college it was high after duke it was high they, they knew there were things they needed to work on but you know it seems like in their minds they are closer to competing than they are to failure and i think that's really important for virginia tech fans to think about and to realize that this team is not a team from a year ago this is not a team that's given up this is a team that's rallying and doing their best to win football games um i, I think when you look across the acc any team that's not named Clemson can win or lose on every week. So I think Virginia Tech has to continue to keep their morale up and keep that, the confidence up that they can really go in and they can compete with anybody on their schedule. They're not going to win every game. They're not going to win from here on out, uh, but they can compete. And if they keep that, that confidence, you know, I think that, they're, that, that they have the ability to go in and kind of be a little disruptive in the ACC. I think they're a little behind right now. And trying to make it to the ACC championship game, um, I think that they're, you know, looking down the, uh, you know, the long haul maybe a, a nine-win season or anything like that. But you know, I think seven, eight wins, getting to a bowl game, I, I think that that's all in play. And then after that, I think is when Whit Babcock needs to start making some adjustments. You know, I think we obviously we'll see a, a new defensive coordinator. Who may or may not bring in a new defensive staff. We don't know any of those particulars yet. Um, but I think there could be some shakeups on the offensive side of the ball as well. You know, I think that there's uh, definitely an, uh, uh, some concern in Blacksburg uh, of what can Fuente do to write the ship. And I think Miami was a good step forward, but it, it was just a step Virginia tech needs to continue moving forward and continue keeping their confidence up and win some football games. Um, you know, or this thing could turn really, really, really ugly, really fast, or the fans could have a short uh, memory. If one can can turn this thing around and the Hokies can win a few more football games, I think we'll see uh, a little bit different into the season than, uh, than what happened last year.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think this North Carolina game in two weeks at home for homecoming is going to be such a crucial game, not only to get even at two and two if Virginia Tech wins that game in the ACC, but also just the conversations prior to this week have all centered around Fuente and and getting him out of Blacksburg and forking up that $15 million Obviously, big looming questions in regards to the recruiting class, which I'm sure we'll cover in another podcast. I think, like you mentioned, the ACC, you'd never know. I mean, look, Virginia Tech lost by 35 to Duke at home and beats Miami on the road. So they were 14-point underdogs as well. So it's definitely going to be, you know, a clean slate every week and kind of prove yourself. But this was definitely a positive step forward. Evan, I understand you don't have all the time in the world for us. I could talk to you about Virginia Tech football all day, but I'll let you go. Thank you for joining us tonight and sharing your insight. And please don't leave us. We need you on this podcast.
1: I got you. Anytime.
0: All right. What's up, Doug? We're back, baby.
2: Back, indeed. You're on. actually recording a day earlier than normal, I think.
0: Yeah, we're switching things up. I think that we've gotten a lot of feedback. A lot of people like what we have to say, which is awesome, and we appreciate it everyone that's chiming in with with positive vibes and the negative ones, too, uh, just to make this a more well-rounded podcast. But I think it's nice to make it a little bite-sized in the beginning of the week while emotions are still high off the last game played and then kind of break things down for the future matchups later in the week.
2: Yeah, I mean, appreciate all the feedback they got us here. You know, we're good vibes only over here, but uh, try and get – the game review out of the way early in the week, and then we can turn our attention to the next game
0: later this week. Yeah, and definitely good vibes today talking about the Miami game. I want to jump right into it with some player-slash-positional ratings. I'll give you the first one, pro- perhaps the most fun one. The quarterbacks, and especially Hendon Hooker, what do you think of his performance at Miami? I mean, just
2: uh out-of-nowhere kind of performance, I think particularly given what stations were at the end of the week. I'm giving him an eight for this performance, even though, you know, he was only 10 for 20, um, but he didn't turn the ball over. And, you know, that's pretty much all you can ask for on the road at Miami in his first game. Um, he came in only, only having thrown two passes and doesn't turn the ball over, only gets sacked twice, doesn't make any big, big mistakes that, you know, would turn the game, and then he throws three touchdowns on top of it. Um, was huge in the running game, just in terms of <laughs> considering how uncertain you were going into this game about how he was going to play. I mean, just a huge, huge day for Hooker, and the challenge now is for him to, to build on it as teams get film on him and adjust and all that stuff, but for, for a first start, coming in on the road at Miami, and, you know, it's Desperate situation where Virginia Tech desperately needed a win. You know, I don't think you can ask for anything better there.
0: Yeah, I thought Hendon was great. I think you can point to his stats and say he had the second highest QBR in the nation, and and he did it against the number 13 total defense in America. And you can stop right there and, and, and say he had a great game. But outside of that, I think that the most impressive thing was his awareness of what was going on. How he, how he unlocked this offense and, and the guys rallying around him and showing energy. So I think that speaks to his leadership and character, which are obviously massive, massive uh, things in this Justin Fuente offense. Um, and And to have that confidence and poise in a hostile environment, I mean, it, it's all up from here for him. I mean, that was a top four game heading into the season on the road against such a good defense, and he showed out. Um, And and I know that last week that I mentioned my concerns were his ball protection, and I still think to a degree, you know, that remains true because before this game, every time we saw him in extended action, it seemed like he made a mistake, whether it's the handoff or or fumbling the ball, but he kind of proved it to me, at least, that if you give him, you know, enough time to really settle in and, and unlock this offense, that He's smart and he's instinctive, and I thought that was the the major thing for me that he he really alleviated a lot of those concerns that we had about him.
2: I think you have, you have to give a, a a good deal of credit to to as much as we bash them or whatever you want to call it. Last week, you have to give a lot a lot of credit to, to offensive coordinator Brad Cornelson for designing a a game plan that was so effective. Um, we hadn't seen the ends at all. I'm sure we're going to get to them in a little bit later. And, you know, Dalton Keene and James Fish were the, the biggest biggest benefactors, I guess, the Finan Hooker playing quarterback now for Virginia Tech. So, thank you hit hitting the nail on the head. Him being able to take care of the ball and make good decisions for four quarters, especially as things just unraveled their team, like they were unraveling. Um, in the second half for him to come out after Miami looked like they were going to take the lead and then they missed the PIT but you know at that point it it certainly looked like Miami if they could get the ball back was just going to win
0: yeah and I do have to say on on Hendon Hooker that throw to Damon Hazleton during that last drive the 29-yard reception over-the-shoulder touch pass on the sideline over Trajan Bandy, who was an All-ACC performer last year, just kind of showed that he has what it takes to be a big-time quarterback, and especially as a passer. We all know he's – as a, as an athlete, he's explosive. We saw that early on in the game, him running the ball. But as the game kind of progressed, th- that throw right there just kind of sold it for me, so – Uh, But moving on to the running backs, I don't have too much here, to be honest. Uh, I said 6 out of 10. Maybe that's a little harsh. I thought they had a a decent game. McLeese had a solid performance, especially that touchdown to seal the game at the end. I I know there was a bit of time left on the clock, but with the conditions in Miami, it started to rain. We already saw that uh, Miami's kicker missed an extra point. I think that Fuente didn't really want to risk it in terms of bringing on Brian Johnson milk the clock till the end, and then miss a field goal and have to do it all over again in overtime. So I agree with the decision to kind of go for it there, take the points. Uh, McLeese, solid night. Keyshawn King, I think maybe he's still a little hampered by his injury. Uh, Didn't have the strongest of games, and I know that he definitely wanted to put on a show being a a Florida native and um, being slightly recruited but overlooked by Miami.
2: Yeah, I had him at a six as well, the running back. Um, I thought they got just enough out of McLeese um, when, you know, hooker was as big of a part of the running game as he was. Uh, I think this is got to go on the rest of the season, but you got to get something out of McLeese just so they don't key on, on hooker keeping it all the time. And, you know, I think he had a big run there. Can't remember when it was, I think it was the early in the second quarter, maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, McLeese just enough, um, Kishon King, you touched on it, got 12 carries. Mostly ineffective, um, but, you know, we'll have this moment um, for sure <laughs> at some point in his Virginia Tech career.
0: Now, this is a little tougher to do, but what did you make of the wide receivers against Miami?
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm giving them a five here. We had Hazelton and Robinson were the only ones who called a pass. Um, they, I mean, it's clear they need Trey Turner back healthy. Damon Hazleton looks like he's coming in, you know, getting healthier, knocking the rust off, whatever. And, you know, he had the the big catch we talked about earlier. And he was so close. That Hooker had, if Hooker had made the throw on the on the go route that he just overthrew him earlier, I think that would have been the knockout blow before Miami even had a chance to rally further. So um, I think they're still trying to work Hazelton back into it, need to get Turner back. I gave him a five. I have to give him, even though they only got two catches, two passes, I got to give him credit for the blocking on the perimeter there. I mean, you know, Keen was, had acres to run on, on numerous so numerous catches for him, and then the hookers touched down to open the game. I mean, those, that doesn't happen without good blocking from the receivers.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Some of. Have... Some of the things that don't really pop up on the stat sheet, the perimeter blocking. I thought Damon Hazleton had a great game. I thought a lot of the times he was wide open. That on a few of the the keen touchdowns, that he could have actually gone to Damon Hazleton. And like you mentioned, if he hit that that go route, Damon Hazleton on two catches probably could have had uh, somewhere around a hundred yards on the day. So that you know the margins that we're playing with here. But but that catch on the last drive once again was one of the biggest plays of the perhaps the second biggest play of that entire game especially with all the momentum in Miami's favor at that point. Um, But yeah, I I rate them inconclusive. Uh, I think that they'll get a lot of action against Rhode Island next week. Um, But I got the tight ends, and for the first time ever, I'm going ten out of ten. I think that. You just can't do any better than that. I mean, in terms of blocking, we saw there was, there was fans taking clips of Dalton Keene just taking Trayvon Hill for a ride, and, and his quotes of just blocking him enough times that he'll want to give up was just amazing, uh, in addition to catching three touchdown passes, being huge impact players, and then seeing Dalton Keene on kind of uh, some of those swing routes, and then uh, James Mitchell blocking in front of him was just so refreshing to see. Uh, I think that actually the lack of tight end action this entire year didn't prepare Miami enough for a new quarterback that's really going to an old game plan. Like I didn't think any of this, the, the targeting the tight ends or any of these plays were were new stuff that that they made um, a, a new scheme or or whatnot. I think it was always there. I just think they utilized it a lot more. And I know that last week I mentioned I wanted to see uh, a Baltimore Ravens-esque approach and I didn't really articulate myself well enough, but I guess what I meant by that is that just play designs to get tight ends in space and it worked. So it, it was nothing new. It's always been there, but I thought that it was perfectly utilized on Saturday. Yeah,
2: I think the tight end, um, I gave him a 10 too. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, Keenan had the three touchdown passes. Mitchell had a touchdown run and then a huge, huge, long uh, catch and run there in, early in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, they were they were wide open all day. Um, I don't think Miami, I, I guess, they didn't prepare for it. I mean, I think they probably benefited from Hooker just being a different quarterback in terms of. What Virginia Tech is going to ask him to do? I think obviously with Willis, you're 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 looking downfield a little bit more, and maybe you know I don't think Dalton Keene's is a tight end that's going to you know be attacking the scenes or anything downfield. So you know he's more of a blocker under Willis here in the first couple of weeks. But then you know with Hooker, you're running more play action, more misdirection where where the where the linebackers' eyes are really the draw to whatever Hooker's doing, and they clearly use that to their advantage um, throughout the day on Saturday.
0: Now, I do have to ask you this, a little uh, tangent, but everyone was lamenting the play calling last week for on third and goal against Duke in the first quarter. On the second drive that they had the ball inside the 50, they they run that same jet sweep motion to uh, James Mitchell, and they fail on it. And everyone's freaking out. Why are we doing jet sweeps? Why are we jet sweep you? It works against Miami and nobody says anything. So should we lament the play calling? Or I guess just if it works, it works.
2: I mean, yeah. It's kind of like what we talked about last week with if if the play call works, you love it. If, if it doesn't work, if it's a terrible the play call. Um, I don't know whether – it was the it was a better time to call it based on what had happened before um, this week or if they execute they clearly executed better they scored. Um, but that's that's just the nature of questioning play calling. Um, especially when one play call doesn't work in a forty five to ten game you're dissecting everything. Another play call <laughs> this this time it works in a forty two thirty five win and, you know, it happened early in the game and nobody's really talking about it. But I mean, James Mitchell's clearly a a threat there, and I'm sure they have a bunch of or a handful of different plays they can run off of that, just to just to give give teams a different look. So, you know, I'm fine with if if you can block it well on the outside and get you know a six, four, six, three, 250 two hundred and fifty pound running back basically at that point coming down on on the perimeter. I think is a decent play.
0: Yeah, I will say I was very impressed with the play calling. I don't know how much of a hand Jerry Kill had in it. He was a big proponent of the two tight end looks, so maybe he was harping on Brad Nelson and calling the plays for him. Who knows? But, yeah, there was one play in particular with Dolan Keene. They lined him up as an outside receiver, motioned him inwards towards the line of scrimmage. Hendon Hooker was going to his right side while Keene was on his left. You know, the entire Miami defense shifted with Hendon Hooker, and then he just hits him wide open on the backside. So there was a lot of really good looks, I thought, out of the tight ends, and especially with this offense that we just haven't seen before this season. I think it had a lot of shades of 2016. And to speak on the, the tight end sweep with James Mitchell, I thought that the offensive line did a really good job run blocking. But segmenting off that, what did you think of the offensive line as a whole throughout the game?
2: Yeah, I gave him an eight. Um, I thought they were fine. They, I mean, much better than I expected. Much better than what they've been to date this year. They only gave up two sacks. Uh, but I think going on the road, we expected much more than that. They like Hooker, who can pick up yardage on the ground, um, helps, But there's still got to be holes for them to run through. And so I thought they were great. I mean, you had, you had Luke Canuda got in there again for Danzi. Um, Austin Cannon got a bunch of snaps there. I think, you know, considering they paced an offense that put up 42 points, I think they did pretty good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I had them in a 7. Uh, I could have put them at an 8. I thought the run blocking and pass blocking were good. Again, we circle this game as a top four game this season. Yes, Virginia Tech's schedule is, you know, one of the worst in college football this year with all the weak opponents and FCS schools, but... Miami's front seven is just so talented, and it looked like this entire offensive line came off a bye week. So I was really impressed. Uh, I circled LaCita Smith and Brian Hudson as guys that jumped out to me.
2: Smith was really good. I mean, they they had a handful of plays where even going to Hudson, like you said, the whole, I guess, the left side of the line just dominated. I think the one play in particular is the, the long McLeese run. Um when they were when they were getting getting out, kind of getting out on the edge to the left is where they were really effective.
0: Now flipping things over to the defensive side of the ball, I'll start with the defensive line. I said seven out of ten, probably a little harsh there again. Again, all these ratings are really high. And look, Virginia Tech, if you keep winning, we'll rate you highly. I know that's what you want at the end of the day, but I really like the group. I thought they were disruptive and they took advantage of Miami's weak offensive line. I thought Deshaun Crawford was really, really good. I think he's perhaps the best overall player, maybe with Taiwan Garbutt on that defensive line. Uh, it was a shame to see him hurt, but it's nothing significant. I don't think we'll see him against URI just to kind of let him heal up a little bit before North Carolina. But yeah, I mean the entire line was good. Jalen Griffin with that fumble return. Um, you know, trying to take guys' heads off whenever he was in there, he really impressed me. Emmanuel Belmar was solid, didn't have any bad things to say about him. And Taiwan Garbett, his return to the lineup is so crucial.
2: Yeah, I had <clears> him at <throat> a seven as well. Um, You know, there's seven sacks. The total of the defense, four and a half of them come from defensive linemen, Jalen Griffin, with one and a half to lead the way. Only – only gave up 94 net rushing yards, and most of those came on that one big um, one big run by T.J. Dallas uh, late in the game. I think, you know, they clearly got worn out by the end of it. Um, you know, I think casing around a quarterback, dropping back 55 times will do that, particularly when you're doing it in South Florida. So, you know, I think that was probably one of the large, large reasons that they – um, that Miami was able to mount to rally was, you know it's just so hard to, to, to consistently get pressure when you're chasing guys um, chasing the quarterback every every snap so you know Deshaun Crawford's injury was tough um, right there at the end of the first half and then we all know what happened in the second half defensively so they really need to get him back um, hopefully he doesn't he shouldn't even put on a jersey against Rhode Island um, but just a when we talked about this game before uh, last week, we, we said this was a game where Virginia Tech defensive line and defense in, in general was going to have to show up and dominate a weak Miami offensive line, and that's exactly what they did.
0: Yeah, and I will say that in that first half, they looked really fresh. In the second half, obviously rotating a lot of guys. Miami was on the field a lot in the second half, and it seemed like a really hot and humid day down there. <laughs> I mean, we'll get to it in the linebackers, but guys were puking out there. So, uh, yeah, I think fatigue definitely played a big role in the letdown of the intensity on the defensive side of the ball. I just think guys got tired, weren't used to playing that much. But speaking of puke, <laughs> what did you think of the linebacker
2: unit? Just incredible. I mean, I gave him a seven, but <laughs> that puke play from Tisdale was just fantastic. Um Kept his eyes um, on the play and competed there, and, then, and he comes up later with a huge play to steal it at the end on the goal line um, with the pass with the pass break up there. Um, so obviously it continued. he Poli Field got the start again, but once it became clear that Miami was gonna have to throw the ball fifty plus times to win the game, I thought uh, Tisdale's obviously the guy you wanted in the game there, and he played well. Um, Rayshard Ashby, 11 tackles, linebacker of the week in the ACC, um, came up with a big tack as well at one point. You know, I thought, you know, giving a, a, the linebackers a seven, after giving the defensive line a seven, after, I think, the defensive backs so will get, um, get some credit here in a little bit, and then <laughs> knowing how... How bad that second half was looking there for a little bit in terms of being able to stop them. It, it feels weird to be as high on them, but you know I don't think just like the defensive line, it it, it must have been difficult to to chase that guys around for four quarters in 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 Miami and particularly there in the second half. They were they weren't throwing passes that you know were in the flats and stuff like that, that linebackers could could range made the play. They were mostly downfield and interme- intermediate just finding the holes kind of in between all linebackers and the secondary. So I'm not binging them too much there. Uh, they still play a, played a great game. And time you can, you can projectile vomit and, and still keep it together. I think you got to give them a lot of credit.
0: Hard, smart puke, the new motto, but yeah, I, I gave the linebackers an eight out of 10. Um, Again, like you're saying, you give up 35 points, you know, you, you got to kind of take off some points for that. But I just thought that they were all stellar. Uh, Chamari Connor whipped two. He answered a lot of questions, in my opinion, in his coverage ability. And uh, that big play by Alan Tisdale, not talking about spilling his guts, but uh, the play where he batted the ball down to essentially end the game. Um, a play which I didn't even see, by the way. I already thought the game was over. I was already tweeting up a storm like the game was over. And I found out maybe 30 minutes after that that there was one more play. So, I mean, we could talk a lot about the broadcast. I kind of want to keep that out of this podcast. But, yeah, that, I didn't even see that play until 30 minutes later.
2: Yeah, I didn't see it happen at all. I mean, they'd already flipped over to the to the Georgia game, but um... – you know, I've always been looking for this opportunity, but just want to give, out, give a shout out to my mom here who texted me and was like, there's another play They put 0.1 second back on the clock. I was actually on the phone narrating um, the last couple plays for, for one of our friends um, down at Austin City Limits and hung up on him. And then come to find out, I missed the last play of the game. And you know, I, think, <laughs> I think it's pretty crazy how. How quick they were to cut it off and how the refs looked like they were going to review it. And then, and then Colton said the game was over and then they did review it. Um, just, just a weird ending in general.
0: Yeah. One, thank you, Mrs. Bowman. We appreciate you. And two, I could totally imagine a scenario. Everyone where I was at was celebrating Virginia Tech winning. Uh, but I could totally envision a scenario where they actually – Convert the touchdown, maybe go for two after what happened with the previous PAT, and win that game. And everyone's finding out 30 minutes later on their ESPN app. So that's just a scenario I feel like would happen for Virginia Tech football. Thankfully, it didn't. I'll I'll let you do a double header, and and you can cover the defensive backs because I want to take over the last position group. So defensive backs are all yours. I see
2: where you're going with this one, but. Um... <laughs> I, I I give the defense, you know, the defensive line got a seven from me, linebackers got a seven from me. I'm gonna give the DBs a seven from me as well. Just an unbelievable start to the game. Um with you know, the pass break up from Connor leading to Waller's pick. Farley, you know, hangs with the receiver going deep, makes a huge play in the end zone. Waller comes back the next <laughs> next uh the next interception and um in front of one there. To, I mean, that, that's the reason Virginia Tech ultimately won the game was because of how the defensive back played there in the first 15 minutes. So, just a huge, huge start there. Obviously, a, a brutal finish um, in terms of being able to stop the Miami defensive back. Reggie Floyd did make a play on the first, last play of the game there. Um, it looked like they, even if Pisdale didn't knock that ball down. Um, it looked like they had double coverage, or had that fairly well covered up there. Um, I think I think you can often hang them there for the hail mary into the into the, the first half that Mark Jones was so excited about. Um, but you know that's what we've been looking for all, all year from defensive backs in terms of being making plays, being uh, you know play making defense, stepping in stepping in front of ball, getting. Um, Tipping the ball up in the air and making him play on the ball, those kind of things. So, just a great start there. Um, have to shout out Khalil Ladler there. I think that's a player a lot of people forget about, but you know, if they don't call that rough in the passer, um, which seems like a questionable call there, Ladler picks it off and takes it all the way back to the four yard line. Um, I mean, that's the game's over right there. That's, that's I mentioned the Hazleton throw, the Hazleton miss, where Hooker overthrew Hazleton. That was a potential knockout blow that Virginia Tech just missed. And then I think that Ladler pick um, that got called back was another one where, if if that doesn't get called and Virginia Tech punches it in there from the four-yard line, you know I think Miami's comeback basically finishes right there. So good start, great start from the defensive backs. <laughs> struggled there in the second half then they made the play right at the end, so I'll, I'll give them a 7
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Khalil Adler play, if you didn't, I would have, don't worry but uh, if if anyone's just tuning in now and missed our previous podcast Doug made a fair question earlier in the season and said, is it Farley and Waller, is it Waller and Farley, I think both these guys are, are 1A guys uh, both at the top of Of the depth chart for a reason and and both a really good dynamic duo definitely it feels a lot more secure than having bryce watts back there um again those two picks a piece i think sealed the game like you mentioned you hit the nail on the head there uh you know they did a really good job against really tough whiteouts uh jeff thomas kj osborne really guys that could be at the top of uh, postseason accolades for miami um again that second half kind of blew things open I think when they're fresh you know they can compete with anyone but when they're on the field all the time I mean it makes sense they're tired uh they try to rotate a little bit uh and so yeah I thought they played well and I even like Javon Quillen a a senior now one of the few a guy that's a, a backup cornerback coming on the field on special teams and talking some smack to the kick returners and Jeff Thomas and even at one point they had uh like eight guys surrounding Jeff Thomas. So it just showed that there was a lot more fire out of this group.
2: Yeah, I think the defensive back in general gave them that belief and that start. I mean, we all saw how the sideline reacted there um, after Connor broke up the pass and all picked it off. But knowing how fragile this team was and, you know, how – it, it would have been very easy for them to get off to a poor start and and fold, um, but that that you know that blitz of interceptions there in the first gave them all the belief and desire and showed that they're still in it and they still want to play and they still want to play for the coaches and each other and all that. Um, and I think the defensive backs were were at least the reason that it got started that way.
0: And there's still one more unit. The special teams, the matchup that I highlighted in our preview for this Miami game, Oscar Bradburn versus Lou Headley, the Australian superstars, it did not disappoint. Yes, there was a lot of action in this game. You know, People were uh, clenching onto their seats this entire time, just watching the game, not knowing what was going to happen, the huge comeback from Miami, all these big plays from Virginia Tech, but lost in all the sauce was Oscar Bradburn. This guy is a superstar. Not enough people are talking about him. I I still firmly believe for what he has to do, on a regular basis, he is the best overall player on the team. He's a top three national punter right now. At this very moment, he's third in the nation in terms of his punts. And I have to be honest, I'm a little bit scared that he's going to declare a year early for the NFL.
2: Um, Yeah, we covered it. After a real weapon for Virginia Tech, and you know, I, I would, I think he should definitely test the waters of the NFL. Um, at least to get a get a grade back to see where he might be picked. Um, I just, I think you covered everything. I mean, I but, could, uh,
0: I could talk about Brian Johnson here. He did a good job with with extra points and whatnot. Uh, obviously. Uh, would have been uh, a talking point had he have came to kick the game-winning field goal at the end. But obviously, due to the weather constraints, uh, he was left off the field um, until the extra point, which he converted. Um, and, and then, you know, kicking and punt return, I think that, that big, uh, what was it, excessive celebration, which kind of pushed uh, Miami's kickoff team back. To give Keyshawn King the ball around like the five yard line, and then to bring it back twenty plus yards to set up that last scoring drive, which ultimately won the game, was huge. Um, but all in all, it's the Oscar Bradburn show, and he deserves the spotlight.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, he's doing a great job playing. I just can't wait till you know Virginia pulls like, pulled out the fake punt. That oh my
0: had. gosh! I'm
2: sure, I'm sure they have something dialed up there.
0: And, and I will say that today, uh, on Monday, uh, Justin Fuente was talking about him and this is the first time I heard Oscar Bradburn mentioned in, you know, this big overall press conference where he only gets what, 10 questions and Oscar Bradburn was one of them. So whoever asked that question, thanks to you, cause he deserves more recognition, uh, but I am a little disappointed that Justin Fuente said that he's becoming a weapon. I think it's clear that he's an established weapon.
2: Just a huge slight there from the head ball coach that, you know, I'm glad there's somebody here to defend uh, Oscar. And, you know, you're right. You're 100% right.
0: <laughs> well, if this is the last year we get of him, you know, I have to bring him up as often as I can. But I do want to move into some overarching questions. Now we discussed the quarterback position and I think a really important question now is that Hendon Hooker kind of proved what he needed to, that he can get the job done. So we talked about it in the previous two podcasts about how the plan seemed to be, no matter what was going to happen against Miami, that it seemed like Hendon was going to play against Rhode Island, let Ryan Willis sit out, let him rest. Um, but now, I mean, a lot of things are in question, right? Do you ride out the hot hand for the rest of the season? Do you take this on a week-by-week basis? Or did this performance seal the deal for you that he should be the guy for the remainder of the season, even if Ryan Willis comes back fully healthy?
2: I, you know, it definitely didn't seal the deal. I mean, there's a lot of football left to be played, and there's I mean, there's no telling how the team is going to Perform the rest of the way. Um, you know, last year, we checked off the old dominion. Um, comes back the next week. Willis's first start. Willis looks great. Team wins 34, 31 for the team 2 You know, plays a decent half in, in the rest of the next week. But then, you know, from the second half of that Notre Dame game on the rest of the year, is a pretty brutal finish the season. So, I'm not ready to, you know, Declare Hooker, you know, a finished product, or you know, the definite starter the rest of the year. Yeah, I could definitely see situations where where Tech turns back to Ryan Willis at some point, but but I do like the way the schedule sets up here um, in terms of going from Miami and what a challenge that must have been. Just um, so now you get what should be. A, a much easier opponent in Rhode Island. Hooker can, you know, I think they obviously had a fairly specific play game plan for Hooker against Miami to get him through that game. I think this is a great opportunity to just kind of let him loose and let him you know, run the full playbook and really get comfortable out there. Um, and then you have, of course, the, 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 the big home game now after that, whenever Miami is the big, big home game against North Carolina the week after Um, in terms of a situation where you want to continue to let a quarterback, a new quarterback kind of get acclimated to everything. I think playing a bad FCS school and then a home game against, I mean, a North Carolina team that lost to at state lost to, lost to, to Clemson and Wake Forest, um, You know, I think that's a pretty good setup. And then you're into the bye week where you can kind of reset before the rest of the year. So I don't, you know, Fuente said after the game that he thinks you're going to need Willis to, Willis at some point the rest of the year. But um, I think for at least the next two weeks, um, things are set up nicely for Hooker.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for his extended debut uh, over these next few weeks. I think I need to see it against UNC. Obviously, zero turnovers, a huge credit to him, seeing as whenever he did get extended time, so to speak, uh, in games he's played in his career, he's made a few mistakes, a few turnovers. Uh, So I want to see him do that on a consistent basis, obviously. I did say that if Virginia Tech wanted to win seven games that it would need to be Ryan Willis at quarterback. I'm kind of backing off that take just a little bit now because I think, you know, again, the, the statistics aside from Hendon Hooker against Miami, I think just the general positivity that he brings to Virginia Tech's sideline, that guys are really rallying around him. Of course, it was because they were successful, they were up extremely early, everything was going right. Why would they not be hyped up? But let's see that if they can you know, carry this out through the next few weeks. If they go down early against UNC at home, will they keep that same positive attitude? I don't know. We're going to have to find out. But one more big, big, big question, and we've been talking about this quite a bit over the last few weeks, is what to do at backer uh obviously alan tisdale saw a majority of the time there like you mentioned it was because miami was so pass heavy that having a guy like alan tisdale who's more athletic and a better guy as a coverer or in coverage he got more of the reps there do you see anything change how would you approach this if you were bud foster obviously we know he has a huge affection for dax Holyfield. wanted him to be his last big product before He rode off into the sunset, uh, but it seems like Alan Tisdale is turning some heads. He seems like one of the top three performers on the defensive side of the ball. Do you make a change there, or do you kind of ride things out how they have been?
2: I think you're going to see him ride it out as they have been. Um, Tisdale's obviously been impressive, but they still started Dax in that game. Um, And I don't think... You know, at this point, maybe maybe you flip it, but um, I think you, you you're gonna see both of them through, through the rest of the year, really, um, unless one of them just like steps up and takes control completely. I think clearly they like his in the in the passing game, like you mentioned, and think against you know g- going to you know Notre Dame or as we get in November. And when the weather turns colder and it kind of becomes less of a, of a passing um, passing game, you might see more Dax. So you know, I think you'll see both of them going forward. Um, they're trying to redshirt Keyshawn Artis, I think, too. So you know, maybe that's where they'll get signed with Dax at, at Mike at some point, um, which which I think it, which I think ninety five percent of the people on the message boards have been calling for for now years. So they'll be thrilled. Um, but yeah, we'll see what they do going forward because they'll obviously made a, made a couple big plays there against Miami. So gotta give him a lot of credit for, for being ready to play and for, I mean, really continuing just his strong play over the last several weeks.
0: I gotta be honest. I do really like what I'm seeing out of Alan Tisdale. If it were up to me, I'd probably make that switch and see him a, a bit more often. Uh, obviously, it's been a little inconsistent. He played a majority of the snaps against Boston College, barely plays the next week against Old Dominion, uh, and, and Dax sees a lot of time against both Old Dominion and Furman. Uh, so we'll see. Again, it's a good situation. So uh, being able to rotate guys in different scenarios, having two high-character guys, um, you know, we'll see. If, if Alan Tisdale keeps making plays and leaving his guts off the field, who knows? So... But, uh, yeah, I mean, those were two of the biggest questions I had after this week. Obviously, we'll see how this new look, Virginia Tech, looks against Rhode Island, and we'll be able to do some player ratings. But before that, we'll be back later this week to preview all of Rhode Island. But, Doug, thanks for coming on, giving some positional ratings, and I hope your Braves can pull it out in game five.
2: Yeah, I guess by the time we record later this week, we'll know Um, just what happened there on on Wednesday night in Atlanta. But, you know, as a a pessimistic Braves fan, I think think I'm going to be on a one-way trip to Heartbreak City here by the time we talk to you again.
0: Well, you have this preview to look forward to. So, regardless, (laughs) thanks once again for uh, joining up with us.
2: Can't wait to preview the one and four Rams.
0: (laughs) Hey, guys, I don't have too much to add this week on Mate's takes. This has already been longer than I thought it would be for this week, so I'll leave you guys off with this note. The team looks fired up around Hendon Hooker. I think he really shined in his debut, not just on on the stat sheet, but with his ability to rile everyone up. We talked about it in depth. I think that going into Rhode Island, we'll see a lot more of the playbook open up. Mistakes don't seem so... Heavy in a game like Rhode Island. Obviously, nobody wants to turn over the ball or make too many mistakes. But I think this is the last trial period Virginia Tech really has to see what they have on both sides of the ball before they play North Carolina, which is going to be a massive, massive game. But anyways, I'll leave you guys off with this. If you have any feedback whatsoever, feel free to reach out to us on the boards, on Twitter, whatever it may be. We really appreciate all of you listening. You're all beautiful people. And we'll see you later this week with a Rhode Island preview.